Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. Well, we have been going through a uh, podcast series right now in which we are talking about the three core foundational principles of Open Table, which are that we are theologically progressive, we are Pottstown focused, and with Jesus at the center. And so we're talking about being Pottstown focused right now. Last week, um, we talked with Marlene Armato about the fight for fair funding and all of the work to support our children here in the borough. Um, and this week, we are joined by Tom Nyhas and Mark Borse from uh, Beacon of Hope, which has been uh, in the news. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you've been reading the news, if you have— Live in the tri-state area— yeah, like you've heard you've heard the name. Possibly have. Um, and if you are interested in any of the uh, he said, she said, uh, back and forth drama surrounding um, uh, homelessness and the fight to help people who are find themselves without houses, um, there will be links in the description of other news coverage of that. You can get all your juicy gossip from that. We're not. We don't really want to rehash any of that. We are actually just really excited about the work that you're doing now and the work that you are planning to do into the future. And I want to spend my time nerding out about justice. <laughs> so welcome. Welcome to the podcast basement. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great. Um, yeah. So maybe at the beginning, for those who don't know much about Beacon of Hope, why, where did, how did you start? Um, well, <clears throat> in 2020, when the pandemic hit, uh, the, the organization that did uh, winter sheltering here in Pottstown, they would go church to church 30 days at a time, um, didn't see it to be safe to continue during the pandemic. Uh, so Pottstown Living in Faith Together um, decided to step in or at least try their hand. At, at winter sheltering um, and got emergency approval. Uh, that approval was because there was a governor mandate not to congregate or hang out together or look at each other without a mask on, right? <laughs> so uh, Pottstown, Pottstown Lift saw that as a gap. Um, we were able to rent space at an old school at St. Aloysius uh, on Hanover Street. And we had 27 beds. Um, we had four classrooms. Uh, three were for men, one was for women. Um, not by design, that's just uh, how the numbers work out. Wow, there were that many more men than women. Yeah, it's about 75, 25 yeah. um, in our area. I don't know about nationwide. I would assume it's something similar. It's similar, I think, yeah. in other, other places in Montgomery County. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that. Uh, at the end of that season, we got approval for the second year because we weren't sure how long the orders were going to stay in place, the stay in place orders were going to last. Um, we felt like we had momentum, so we wanted to keep that momentum going um, and got the approval to do a second year there. We got the approval from the archdiocese. We're able to sign another uh, lease there and did it a second year. Now, what we learned from year one to year two is was was so much <laughs> um, <clears throat> because before we opened the first year, I mean, we met with uh Good Samaritan, the people who work over there, um, and 
and spoke with Hope Rescue Mission, but didn't really uh, have a formal meeting, uh, and Anne's Heart out of Phoenixville. So they really helped us with the first year, kind of getting an outline for some policies and roles and things like that. Um, but we had to learn what we had to learn. We didn't know what we didn't know. And uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure it seemed a lot more simple when you, before you started. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had no idea what yeah. to. And it was also happening in a pandemic. So, so a lot yeah. of what people knew conventionally about running a shelter were, was it had to be adjusted. Yeah. We were all learning together. I mean, the frequent Friday meeting meetings, um, the meetings with the department of, public health and safety. And yeah, we were constantly learning. Um, that first year, actually, though, we had we had zero COVID positives. Um, we did the masking. We did testing. Um, we had zero COVID positive, which, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, I think we filled a bed something like over 5,000 times. I think it was around 5,700 times that, that first season. Wow. If I could just add a little context to it. Um, you were talking about how Pottstown Lift started and how you guys got into the first first two years of of winter sheltering. Um, as the pandemic was happening and as the lockdown happened, there were those of us, part of my job in life is to work with access services. And we have the street outreach program for the entire county. And so we were seeing the impact of people being stuck outside. When, when the rest of the world was locked inside, people were experiencing homelessness were suddenly locked outside. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have access to any of the things that they needed to survive. Um, there was no place to use the bathroom. There was no place to wash your hands. They couldn't get inside in cold or in bad weather to the places they would normally be able to stay for an hour. And so as we went into the winter, we said, we're facing a pandemic winter, which no, no, no one of us have ever done before. So we're not sure what will happen, but we know that we have to do something different. So we started gathering, um, Tom referred to frequent Fridays. We just gathered, uh, we had a couple town hall meetings and said, people who are interested, we don't know the answer, but we're inviting you to come talk to us about this. And then out of that, we decided, a, a group of us decided we want to work on it. So out of the larger group of interested people, there were people who were committed to action on it and that becomes that became our frequent Friday gatherings, which still still exists. We meet every single Friday um, for a half hour just to talk about what everybody's doing across the county. Oh, this is a countywide. <clears throat> this is a countywide group. Okay. group. And in however, those, go ahead. Not run by the county, run by, like Mark said, people interested in taking it's grassroots. action. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just a grassroots yeah. response. And in that in that early conversation, we said one of one of the goals was to. Um, make sure that there were code blue spaces intact for the winter. Um, and we decided that there were there were three hubs that made sense. One was Norristown, one was Pottstown, and one was Lansdale, because historically that's where a lot of sheltering happened. Tom Tom referred to the for for decade for over a decade, decade and a half here in Pottstown, churches shared responsibility. So there was a way that, that there was a mechanism for that to happen. Uh, so we said that's been happening. How do we continue it there? And then we said we were, we need an organization in Pottstown to sort of assume some sort of oversight of it. And Pottstown Lift said, "Oh, we we are a nonprofit. We can take on." This, this early initiative to, we, we, are, we agree to have that house. And then we said, we need a director and people ask around and somebody knew somebody who knew somebody and it was Tom. So, so that's how, hey, that's sort of how we got, yeah, that's how we got right up to the point where we yeah. said, oh, let's get into a shelter. Yeah. And at that time, I, I mean, 
I I was a, a the senior buyer for like a manufacturing company in Spring City. And uh, <laughs> I knew Deacon Dennis, you know, just, just referred me and he's like, hey, you know, at least interview. And hmm. the rest is history, history. as they say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's been super easy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super easy couple um, of years. Yeah. So. That's fine. That, I'm really glad that you pointed that out because I, I don't think, I think we all lost track of each other, like generally, like humanity. <laughs> we yeah. lost track of each other because we were yeah. either in or out. But I think, I don't know that those of us who were in would have even thought about folks who would not be allowed in yeah. because it felt like yeah. everybody had to be contained inside, right. or inside, yeah. but right. there were folks who literally couldn't go to the bathroom in a public space. Right. Like right. Couldn't go sit in McDonald's. Have a yeah. Coffee. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't couldn't, about that. couldn't go to the welfare office to get their food stamps turned back on. Right. Couldn't wow. go to the social security office to get a social security card or their disability benefits turned back on if they were turned off for some reason. And if you think of those early days where the CDC put out guidelines for all of us, how do how do you stay at home? How do you how do you stay clean? How do you sanitize? They were all written for people who are inside. And so I had a conversation with a man named Charlie at the transportation center in Norristown, and he said, There's only one bathroom, and it's here in the transportation center. And the sink doesn't have any soap. He said, so I know I'm supposed to wash my hands, but I don't have any soap to do that with. And so there were people who were really committed to keeping themselves and the people around them and the community safe, but they didn't have the means to do that. There was a, another young man named Brian who made, a, made an arrangement with the people who were cleaning the transportation center. to They left supplies out for him and he cleaned And so I said, why are you doing that? Because people were still using the trains. And he said, people come through here and we have to keep them safe. And he said, plus, this is my house and I have to keep it up. So Mm -hmm. there was a sense of responsibility to that that space, but also a sense of responsibility to the community. But he didn't have any means other than Mm. working this deal out with, uh, you know, the janitorial staff that would leave extra cleaning supplies and he would clean overnight so that the first people coming in would come into a sanitary space. Yeah. So those early conversations were sort of what impacted me about there's a whole, this is a whole world out here that that we don't know yet how to respond to. Um, I was also really worried that first that first day, I'm like, how are people getting food? Because because they can't go in places and and buy food or, you know, places are shut down. And what it was amazing to me was that all the faith community that was offering dinners or offering foods had pivoted in a day and they were still offering that that food. And, and the answer was, we have to because people need to eat. So they figured out a way to do that. Um, but, but it sort of um, illustrated the fundamental shift that was going to have to happen in order for us to respond well to the folks who we already knew who were outside. It was the three-year anniversary two days ago, March 3rd, Friday the 13th, 2020, when everyone stopped having different problems. Yeah, right. I, I didn't know that that was the date. Yeah. I knew yesterday was Pi Day. Oh. I knew that. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> my son loves math and <laughs> I love pizza, so. <laughs> no, I mean, it's Friday the 13th. It's easy to remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, the, our church went virtual March 15th. Yeah. Like, that today today i learned how to edit video overnight 
I was up all night rendering that video on my old laptop. Put it out. At yeah, if you want to see something funny. Oh, it's amazing how much has happened, but how quick the three years seems to have gone yeah. by. Yeah. It's like how much has happened, but what's the name of the game? Uh, something unexpected happens. You adapt. So anyway, you were saying that was the first year. Yeah. The second year. <clears throat> so that first different. year, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, in that first year, it's basically open door policy. Our focus was, you know, going back to what Mark said, getting people inside um, because there was literally nowhere for them to go inside at all. So our focus was getting people inside and allowing them to be inside um, to be safe, to use the restroom, you know, all that stuff. Um, and in that first year, that's where, you know, the values, hope, love, and grace kind of came. Um, so we tried to do everything in that t towards our guests uh, and volunteers behave in that, in, in those values. Um, so I say that to, we had an open door policy. Um, it was first come first serve every night and we opened the doors at 6 p.m. every night, uh, but it was walk up directly to St. Al's building on Hanover Street. Um, <clears throat> people were allowed to go in and out and smoke cigarettes and come back in. If they went out, they, you know, they were out there for more than 10 minutes. We would go see what they're doing. But, um, and that was just... It's our heaters. <laughs> that was just, uh, you know, because we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, <clears throat> even in that, though, there were, there were uh, two complaints to Lisa, who, whose ward that was in. Um, mm -hmm. But there were two complaints, uh, which were both addressed um, and made some slight rule changes to make sure that they didn't happen again. Um but going into the second year, we we needed to change that. <laughs> so uh, going into the second year is when we started doing a different intake or pickup location and then transporting folks uh, over to St. Al's. Um, also in that first year, and we're still partnering with them now, New Hanover United Methodist up in uh, Gilbertsville. They had purchased the old Gilbertsville YMCA like six months before the pandemic hit. Um, mm. So they they couldn't use that building for anything. So they allowed us to take people, take our guests there uh, twice a week to use the locker rooms for showers, which we still do now every week um, and throughout the summer when we're not open. But uh, yeah, moving into that second year, we <clears throat> adapted, made a lot of changes, yeah. a lot of adjustments, had a lot of, you know, uh, conversations where we sought out criticism so that we could be better. Um, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, I wanted that to be a limited time, but <laughs> right. I'm so glad that worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, really, really tried a lot, and, and uh, we changed a lot of things, um, and definitely made made a lot of things better. I think, um, and continue to to you know seek out the where we can grow and where we can do better to better serve our guests and to be better community members. Um, we did change our name. You introduced us as Potsdam Beacon of Hope. We're talking about Lyft now, but we, um, the mission of living in faith together was to uh, find gaps in, in the community services available to the unhoused and um, try to fill those gaps. Uh, and, you know, after that first season, I'm sorry, after the second season, um, there was a core group of the board and, and other people who really wanted to solely focus on how getting the unhoused housed and stability and supportive services needed. Um, and 
went through through some adjustments in that, but but changed our name and changed our mission statement to to focus on that. Um, Does Lyft still exist? No. Okay. So we actually kept the the same five hundred one c three EIN number and just changed our name through through the state and our mission and and our mission yeah. and yeah, bylaws, bylaws and, and everything yeah. Yeah. all the yeah. things yeah. yeah. Emerging to, from a chrysalis. Right, right. <laughs> to start from scratch, particularly during the pandemic, was a much longer process. And so we didn't want to interrupt our capacity to continue to provide care. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so uh, okay. yeah, no, and I was, I was going to say, like, our, our plans have always been to be able to provide shelter, or at least mine from the beginning, were always to be able to provide shelter and pathways towards stable, independent uh, living. So Paul Desch had offered to donate a building to us on North Charlotte Street. Um, we went for a zoning approval with that. And, you know, we're just very shot down very, <laughs> very strongly um, because of its location, because it's in the TTN district. Um, and, you know, TTN? I don't remember. I, I was hoping you wouldn't ask because I don't remember what that means. <laughs> Do you? I don't know. It's basically like the, you know, the the main street or the okay. strip. Um, but uh, I just say that it's very residential. Yeah. 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 Well, it's business oriented and residential. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't want the building. So they didn't want that there. Um, and we wanted we we still wanted to continue and try to find somewhere where we could be so we had um meetings the homeless task force was was started and that was uh some borough staff members and many um many of us from you know non nonprofits and organizations here in Pottstown where we talked about where could we go how would it look you know what would be agreeable what would be you know most likely to be approved um and in those meetings, we we wrote a really lengthy program plan. A lot of meetings, not just those meetings, but meetings with Mark. I mean, Access Services and um, Hope Rescue Mission. That's where we spent a lot of time getting to know their program out in Reading, um, which is the oldest shelter in, in Pennsylvania. Um, they have 230 beds. They just opened up a women's shelter, too. Um, <clears throat> and the goal, the goal of that task force and that that process was to be able to present the borough with a plan for a permanent shelter that had been sort of vetted by by the group of people that they said we want these folks to look at this plan so mm -hmm. um, that's that's why we, we we involved ourselves in that process because we were we were asked to use that process to present something to the borough and so that was done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also, I, you know, we, we had uh, filled out a grant application for the um, ARPA funding, the pandemic relief funding. Yeah. I think Montgomery County had $160 million to, to give to, to uh, organizations um, and businesses. So, uh, so that was kind of happening in, par happening in parallel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just a ton of prayers for every aspect of what we were doing and seek, you know, re you know trying to do. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a property became available um, or was available on the, on West High Street. So it's, it's the intersection of High and Glasgow. Um, I oh, think Glasgow. we, yeah. So it's actually the North side of that property is borders, borders uh, West Pottsgrove Township, okay. the North and the, 
west. So it's literally edge. the end of Pasta. It's, right. It's the last last <laughs> last property on the block. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, and we thought that would be. We thought that we'd be we we were hopeful that that would be successful um, as far as zoning, um, so we went under agreement of sale with contingencies around getting the zoning variance required and also getting the funding, getting the grant that we had applied for. Um, and September twenty eighth, we did get the zoning variance. I think we had to agree to twenty six conditions from the borough, um, but they were all pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, things that we agreed with. They, yeah, they, things, they, they made sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, our, yeah, our goal is to have a positive impact on the community as a yeah. whole, right? Partnership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we see, I mean, we, I, you know, I live in Pottstown. Uh, we, we so badly want Pottstown to be a place that Pottstonians are proud of um, and uh, that other people other towns look at as as a success story, as a lot of us in Pottstown do with Phoenixville, right? Um, so it, we think it's equally as important to see our mission out with our guests um, as it is to be good neighbors and, and have that positive impact on the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got the, the zoning variance, uh, then we shortly after that, we got word that we did get the grant, not the exact amount that that was uh, that we applied for, um, but we got one point three million dollars to wow. purchase the land and yeah. build out a building because it is just land. Wow. Um, so we can't use any of that money for operations now or in the future. It all has to be used for construction um, and land land purchase. But I mean, God just answered yeah. <laughs> yeah. every prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, you're not going to raise that much money on your own. <laughs> no. Wow. Um, yeah. So now we're in our third year of operating the warming center, and we're, we had we did move to St. Paul's Church in November this year. Uh, thankfully, they were willing to host us. Because um, another thing that the pandemic did, and maybe one of you two want to touch on this, is is you know really made. It difficult for churches to do as much as they were able to do prior, as far 100%. as volunteers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you work twice as hard and get half the value out of it. Yeah, it's really hard on every single pastor I know. Yeah. Well, and and you know, there's also a lot of like aging folks in the churches, and so um, as pastor, for me, I was concerned about the safety of the people who were in the pews, and so. We didn't have the numbers of people who could actually like go out and help. <laughs> they, you know, um, we didn't even have an in-person worship service until August of 2020, and that was in our parking lot. Like, mm-hmm. so it drastically. I mean, how do you how do you share a worship service online for a person who doesn't have a computer? Like, you can't mm-hmm. do that. You can't. <clears throat> You know, it, every, every single piece of the pandemic, I think, just, it just altered everything. Every, every, every type of outreach, every type of service, every type of, um, even pastoral care. I mean, there were people I didn't see for a whole year because they wouldn't leave their home. I like to say that the uh, COVID was um, apocalyptic, but not in the Hollywood sense of the world ending 
but in the sense of its Greek meaning, which means to unveil. Hmm. Right. Um, yep. It it just it just pulled back the curtain, and all of us were shown what our actual core values are. And I think a lot of churches went through a period of reckoning. It's probably it's no mistake that we had, you know, a summer of racial reckoning as well as things kept getting pulled back. And you know, I think churches realized what are we even here for? A lot of people who normally would just come in the pews because it's what you do realized, why am I doing this? I don't I don't actually believe this. I don't actually really feel like I need this. And we've just all been playing catch up with trying to uh, figure out who we are and what we care about and why we do what we do. Um, I think it's probably no mistake that there's there's some issues now between um, churches and zoning boards and things like that, because churches are waking up and realizing, wait, we're, we're supposed to do stuff, aren't right. we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we haven't historically yeah. done stuff. Um, oh, okay. And local governments are now like, wait a second, this this isn't what you normally do. You normally just are here on Sunday mornings and go home. And yeah, yeah it's been painful, like really painful. It really, really painful. And I, I think, you know. I don't blame the pandemic for making us uproot our life and <laughs> completely change it entirely, but it's also not going to say it wasn't. Um, and some stupid bat. Some stupid bat, yeah. Um, so it was pain. I mean, it's painful. It's painful when you have to, when you have to do that reckoning. Um, also, like opportunity for creativity, mm-hmm. which I feel like. Yep. There are a lot of us who tried to use not not be opportunistic that like oh great covid's here so let's do some fun things but like it forced us and if we allowed ourselves to work past that reckoning to be creative i think things like beacon of hope come up right mm-hmm. like there are limitations and that could either be like well i guess we don't have to take care of the homeless anymore like <laughs> or we could figure out how to do this creatively and with with grace and with generosity and um, with compassion um, and recognize there are folks who can't go indoors when the rest of us are stuck here. Like, uh, yeah, I think. One of the things that we noticed um, just in the world of homelessness at the beginning of the pandemic was is exactly what we're talking about happened to the rest of us, which is um, there were some things that were new and different, but there were also a lot of things that had existed there for a long time. We just didn't notice them. And so um, there is more homelessness in Montgomery County now than there was at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's, it's increased a lot. It's been a sharp increase. But the issues are still the same issues that, yeah. that, that existed before. Um, we also realized that there was a sense of urgency. The pandemic created a sense of urgency yes. to do things about um, stuff that before we said, well, we kind of know it's there, but but yeah. what are you going to do? And so um, the, there was a sense of urgency to do something. There was also a sense that something different was going to have to be done because it was outstripping the capacity of the service system to respond to it. So um, the crisis at the beginning the beginning of the pandemic was uh, the service system can't keep up with it, its its footprint shrank, like everybody's footprint shrank, shrank. The crisis now is that the volume of homelessness in the county is so big that the service system isn't adequately resourced to, to address that. Mm. So if we're gonna do it differently, then this is an opportunity to say, how do we do this as a community? Um, which probably, 
I would argue, is the way we should do it at, right. at our best. Mm-hmm. But now it created, in the, in the same way you're describing, is an opportunity to say, well, how would we as a community respond to what is actually a community level level issue? So one of the things I keep hearing is that um, homelessness increased dramatically through COVID and then Norristown shut down their shelter. And so busloads of people are coming to Pottstown and from outside and seeking services and help here because you can get a warm meal every night of the week. And there's all of these bleeding heart hippies out here giving you free places to live and all that stuff. Um, Have you seen that happening? I mean, you actually know these people's names. So so. I'm pretty sure you can get a warm meal in Norristown every night of the week as well. Hmm. Um, When the the shelter in Norristown closed, um, and I actually just reached out last week to see if I was able to say this because it, <clears throat> they don't have that many beds, um, but they immediately went and rented 38 rooms in a hotel and mm. either moved folks out, but he, but right when someone moves out, which is what they've always done, right? That's what shelters do. They get people ready for stability and then they move them out and then they move someone else in. Um, so in the year prior to the chalk closing, the, the, the chalk knew for a while that that they were not going to be able to stay after uh, June 30 um, because the land had been sold. And so oh. so they needed to leave. Their, their lease was not going to be renewed. Okay. So they knew this coming for, for several years, actually, prior to its closure. The problem that they had is very similar, very parallel to, to what we're describing, which is they identified a piece of property that's still under zoning discussion, zoning dispute. And so their plan is to open another shelter in another spot, which they had to do not because of anything other than the lease ran out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they actually went, there was actually a discussion with the borough of Norristown, um, which is now the owner of the space that said, would you con- would you continue the lease for, for a, an interim period of time? And they were told no, that that wasn't on the table. So while they're in this process of getting a new space to move to, um, the process took longer than than they had originally hoped through no through no fault of their own. Sure. Um, so they stopped taking more people in, and they said we're going to focus on the people that we have, and we're going to we're going to help them as many as we can before that uh, June thirtieth date um, to move into more stable housing, to move into permanent housing. The people that they had left, they moved into hotels into this hotel um, that they had they had rented. Um, and then they were able to add a couple more spaces to that. So they still have, it's not as big as it was. It doesn't have the same volume, but it's, it's a consistent group of people who still get referred to that. In Norristown. So, no, it's, it's, it's in Horsham. The, the hotel's in Horsham, but they get referred to that, sh- that it, it operates as a shelter yeah. and they get the same services that they did when they were in Norristown. And it's so the volume is less. It's not 50 people. It's more like. Well, they have 38 rooms yeah. and there's couples and, you know, husband, you know, couples that share a room. So, mm-hmm. um, but they are always, always full. And I think they have, it's either one or two other hotel rooms that, that case, case workers and case managers work out of on shifts. Um, so it's still operational. Okay. So so the people that either were there or would likely be next to go there are still that. 
<laughs> right. right. So there wasn't like they closed and people got on a bus yeah. and went elsewhere sure. to homelessness. They, nobody got released into homelessness at the, yeah. when the chalk closed. Mm. Yeah. I would also say that there, there's a group of, there are some people who move around. People who are homeless in their car, for example, have a little bit more mobility. And so um, they don't establish the same sort of residency that, that other people do. Um, and when I listen to people who offer this as a critique, like they're transient and they come from some other place, they're dumped in places, it doesn't work like that. The majority of people are connected in some way to the, the place that they are. They live there. Um, they they became homeless there. They had it. They were living inside, and then they became homeless. Um, they uh, they they grew up there, and so they went back home to the people that that are their support system. So, um, so there 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 is a some movement, but it's not a lot of movement. It's not most people, and it's not a thoroughly transient community. That doesn't mean that there aren't some people. Right. It just means that when you find that person who says, I came here from Georgia, they're not representative of, of, the, of the, the homeless part of your community. The bulk of people in Pottstown are people who have close ties to Pottstown. Okay. There are some that are exceptions, but, but what I found happens in the public conversation is somebody finds someone Yep. And says yeah. this is representative of the whole group. Mm -hmm. There's eight. When we did the pit count at the end of January, we made a list with the people, with all the folks in Pottstown who um, are helping people and know people by name. So we said collectively, what's our list? And we came up with a list of about 85 people that we know by name. And the majority of those people have strong ties historically mm -hmm. to to Pottstown. They did not come. They didn't come homeless to Pottstown. Yeah. Um, some of them returned back. Um, a couple of years ago, I met a guy who came back to, to Pottstown. He was living in Port Clinton and working mm. at the Cabela's. And his oh, he, wow. he couldn't pay. <laughs> they changed the, he couldn't pay week to week. He had to pay month to month. Sudden change. He didn't have the money to cover that. He had a cash flow problem. He had an in, he had an income. He just had a cash flow problem, so they kicked him out. So he, because he was at Cabela's, had a bunch of really good outdoor gear, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he got the employee discount. And so he put all of his belongings in a backpack and hiked down to Pottstown because that's where he was from. Hmm. So, Interesting. so he okay. had, and when he got here, he had connections. They weren't as tight as he had hoped. So he eventually left. He left. And so he went out um, to find another job in some other place that he had a lead on and a friend. Um, but he came, so you could say, well, he's not really from Pottstown, but he came back to where his roots are. The way most of us do that sort of stuff. We have sure. connections. Yeah, you can and tell so, you go home. Right. Where, 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 because it's familiar, yeah. <laughs> um, or it's because it's where your support is. Yeah. So, um, that, well, and I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I, I think one of the things that I, I think we both really want to do on this particular podcast is to give some very, um, you all have a very thorough process, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know that people know it, and I don't know that, um, I think. When there, ha when I have heard, um, you know, problematic things, um, <laughs> yeah. it is based on like assumptions as opposed to like mm -hmm. this is an actual organization who has taken very careful care. And, and I've heard 
you've evolved over the last several years. But um, can you share a bit about intake and what it looks like to get into the shelter? Who is allowed to be there? Um, I think from from what I've heard, I it, if people knew the process, they would not be offering this. Like these people from all over the state are coming, and you know. Yeah. Um, so could you share a bit about that and how you determine who is eligible? Yeah. So, and I'll, I mean, in the first year we decided, and that was based off of input from others, um, to not, to run everybody's name through Megan's Law, you know, sex offender search. Um, You said not to do that. No, to do that that. and not allow anyone whose name is on that to, to come in. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started that in the first year. Uh, The second year we started proof of Pottstown eligibility, which, um, which has has been adapted even since then, but we wanted to ensure that we were only serving uh, unhoused people from from Pottstown, and that's not for any reason other than um, capacity and you know our, our goal of being impactful in our community, right? Mm-hmm. So for those two reasons, um, but you know if if we had a thousand bed shelter. And we allowed anybody from anywhere. We would need more beds. It doesn't matter. Um, I and you know, um, so we knew that we wanted to help our community. Uh, so last year when we started that, we we required like a, a piece of mail um, or something tying you to Potsdam. Last year it, we allowed like library cards and things like that as well. This year it's become more specific, more more uh, black and white, um, where it has to go back to twenty four months or beyond. Um, it has to be some sort of mail identification. Uh, anybody who's on any government services such as social security, disability or SSI income or, um, EBT or SNAP, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, all that is always linked to an address. Um, we spend a lot of time creating accounts for people online for a, a portal so that they can print out. Um, and you can see their history from you know when they first signed up for EBT or SNAP benefits um, and the address associated with that. Uh, so, uh, you know, we also use pay stubs. <clears throat> we had a guy like a, a month ago, I got a call from, from Creative Health and, hey, we have this guy here and he's homeless and can he come in? And he doesn't have anything from Potsdam. I said, well, how long has he been coming to Creative Health? And She's like, well, since '94, but our records, our records only go back seven seven years. Wow! And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just write that he's been coming there for two right. years, you know, as a case manager, right? And uh-huh. that's what we'll file. Um, so any established, you know, provider in Pottstown as well. Um, so there are a lot of options because people always say, well, how is someone who, who's, who's homeless, homeless going to yeah. be able to right. prove that they're they have ties to the community? Um, and it's not as difficult as it seems. Um, and then also this year we started running running names through um, background check type system. Um, and if there's open warrants, we we reach out to the police and let them know. Now, has any police ever shown up to pick a person up? Not at the shelter. No, they're re- they're they've been very respectful of our space. Um, and I don't know. Usually, I haven't seen anybody get picked up directly for a bench warrant. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that's, I mean, we 
pride ourselves on the safety that we are able to um, ensure for our guests and and want to be able to do the same in the community. Um, you know, and again, this year being at St. Paul's across the street from Franklin Elementary School, mm-hmm. being across from the school didn't change our intake process. Our intake process was already in place ahead of time yeah. because of safety is has been a priority from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, explaining that process to to uh, the superintendent of Pottstown and, and the principal uh, made them comfortable, right? And it, it made them comfortable enough to say, yeah, we're not going to so the We're principal not gonna of cause the any problems. school and the superintendent mm-hmm. are both fine. We met. We've had. Yeah, we had meetings before we even signed the the lease, lease with St. Right. Paul's. Yeah, we we wanted to make sure um, that they were going to be okay with it because the last thing we wanted to do was open just to have to close sure. and try to figure something out. You know, in the in the eleventh hour. Okay. Because I hear the, uh, you know, I've heard the complaint before that, you know, how are you having this across the street from a school? Isn't this inviting whatever? But I mean, if the people in charge of the safety of those children are okay with the system that you have in place, trusting the process, yeah, you should trust those people. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, well, if you could speak to that morning to your more to your routines of right, that's. Yeah, so we do intake at a different location. We do intake uh, at Christ Episcopal on High Street every night. So again, it's first come, first serve. Um, we keep a digital log of everybody who comes in, whether or not they uh, had any results on on the background check um, or Megan's law in case that person tries to come in a second time um, or, or again. Um, so when they when they come in, we, we log them in. Um, and then at seven o'clock, we, we drive them over. We have volunteers drive them over to St. Paul's. Um, at St. Paul's, just like in the second year at St. Al's, pe- people aren't allowed to go out and smoke if you know um, if they choose to leave. We offer them transportation, uh, letting them know that if they choose to leave in the middle of the night or have to leave for behavior reasons in the middle of the night, that they won't be allowed to come back for three to seven days, depending. Um, but if they choose to leave and not accept our transportation, they can't come back for the rest of the season. Oh. Um, yeah, because we, we you want have to keep it tight. <laughs> so if yeah. a person yeah. in the middle of the night decides, you know what, I'm done, I have to go, but I don't want you to drive me around. I just want my freedom. They're done. Yes, they can't come back. Yeah, and they know that. I mean, that's and a decision yeah, it's, that they're going to make. Clear. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, that's not happened much. No, that happened once. I think so. Yeah, um, that happened once. Um, but there, it has happened a few times where. Um, I've either gone over at midnight or one in the morning to drive someone away or, or we've Ubered people away and then they're, you know, banned for three or five days or whatever that is. Um, but, uh, it, you know, in those talks with, with Stephen and the principal, they also asked if we could leave before school started. Mm-hmm. And some of that had to do with, they use the parking lot at St. Paul's. Um, the staff uses the parking lot at St. Paul's, um, the congestion on those streets and, you know, just perception, right? Which we understand. Um, we, you know, we're not here to change everybody's mind. We're just here to work together. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so we drive all of our guests away. Um, it's usually three or four trips in the van, so between 6.45 and 7.15, but we promised them that we would be out of there by 7.30 every morning, and we are. Um, Which was the time they asked for. Right. Yeah. They they yeah. asked us, yeah. we said, what time do we need to be gone by to uh, make you more comfortable with this? And and they said 7.30, so. 
And where do you take them? Like, where do to, your folks go in the morning? So we drive uh, Monday through Friday. We go to uh, Mission First Church behind there. That's the Pottstown Recovery Learning Center, which is a program of mental health partnerships. Um, and so they run a day program with groups um, with that focus on mental health recovery and substance abuse recovery. Not all of our guests utilize that. Yeah, I was um, just going to ask, what what is the... So it's about half. People take advantage. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's about half. Um, not all of them need it. Um, we do have several several of our of our guests that work uh, during the day. Um, so they go to you know we drop them off there and they they go to work. And then uh, on Saturdays we kind of we go to the transportation center, Mission First, and the mall because there is nowhere open. Yeah. And that's a reality, right? Yeah. For three years in these frequent Friday meetings, we've said, where can people go during the day on the weekends? Yeah. Um, we've yet, to, we've yet to come up with an answer. The Salvation Army, too. Yeah. But they are having that issue as because well, Because they, right? they don't have staff. Right. 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 So, um, and then on Sundays, we, we take everyone to Pottstown Bible Church on South Street um, because they do a breakfast, a service, and then a lunch afterwards. So, this is one of those examples where the where COVID the pandemic shone a light on something that already existed. Yeah. So so people were locked out of all the places they could go, but there's not many places for them to go anyway. Mm-hmm. So now we're not we don't have the same lockout happening, but there's still no place for people to go very legitimately. You can go to the mall only so long. You can only go Well, and it depends in, on what you look like and how much stuff you got. Right. And and you can <laughs> only mean, go into McDonald's for so long. You can only go into a space for so long. So there still isn't. Um and in most communities, there's still not a there's not a legitimate place to be if you're homeless. Um even during the day. And however, I mean I the Potsdam Library has been has shown so much grace to the unhoused community in Pottstown. I mean, they, they, the amount of times that they've called me to ask if I could help with somebody, but just knowing how many people go there during the day to try and get something moving forward in their life. Um, <laughs> use the computer. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 Or just take a, take a break. I mean, I know... Uh, it's quiet. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's quiet. Right. Um, <laughs> And there's, there's not much warm. drama, right? And there's, right. And there's, right. there's not right. much expectation. I mean, so I I was homeless for two years, um, like twelve years ago, and uh, although it may seem from the outside looking in that people experiencing homelessness generally don't have anything to be concerned about, right? But mm-hmm. it, it, you know, when I experienced it, it was the it was the opposite. Um, not only worried about the all the worries of being an adult, but, you know, the worries of food, safety, shelter, you know, and, and then also those broken relationships and all those things that led me to that. So, um, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of trauma in the, in the people that, that we, we try to help and serve. Uh, one of the, and this is sort of a, I want to insert this here. One of the things that sometimes I hear people say is just about the idea that there's a, like a plan. Like I have a plan to roll into a town because I, I, I shopped and I heard that it was, and the reality of it is that when people are, are experiencing homelessness, they, they go into survival mode. They're just trying to meet their needs this day. And it's, it's typically day to day. So the, so one of the struggles to help in supporting people is figuring out how to help them through a process that takes time. Because even if I just, if I decide to go to the library today, what's the weather going to be? Am I going to get wet? Am I going to miss my lunch 
where my lunch is going to be if I get there. Uh, so um, we see that even in accepting medical care, if I go to the hospital, if I go to a clinic, am I going to miss a meal? So, so a, a lot of the mentality, the, the organizing of yourself are, is, is really around survival and just coping with not only the stress, or, uh, you know, the, the hardship of survival, but then the stress, as you were saying, the stress of being in a position where that's all you can think about. Yeah. So um, it's just helpful for me to, to, to realize that the, the, the skill set that goes into actually experiencing homelessness is a different skill set than what you and I use in as housed people with a job and you know at, um, it doesn't it works differently um, for folks um, but so sometimes the expectation is that people should be able to figure themselves out should be able to get what they need um, should be able to move on um, or that there's a lot of planning that goes into where I land in my homelessness um, it, it just isn't it is it doesn't quite function that way um, I might come into a town that doesn't require me to have a car to get the stuff I need so in Montgomery County, there's lots of spaces where you can go if you do have a car. There's limited numbers of spaces where you can get your needs met as a person with that has to do everything on foot. So it's it's not just like well we picked this one place. No. Well, and I'm, I mean, professional housed adults struggle with um, reaching out and seeking help, <laughs> yes. right? So and 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 feelings of judgment, right? So put yourself in the shoes of someone who's outside, who yeah. who, ha- who doesn't, you know, can't keep up their hygiene, you know, all of yeah. those things. Um, so those are just exaggerated. It's pretty. There's a pretty regular conversation that I have in our street medicine rounds where can I? It would really. The doctor is saying it would be really helpful for you to be either go to the clinic today or go to the ER, um, and the answer sometimes is. I, I'm not clean enough. I'm not clean enough to go there. Like their doctors say, it's okay. Um, or I'm not clean enough to get in your car. So um, there, there's just a, that's that's a reality every day for lots and lots of folks, um, which is what creates, which is why even a thing like being able to be inside for a night mm-hmm. and being able to get a shower, it's just, it's really life altering, even though it may not look like that to the outside. Um, because yeah. you're, you're, you're here, we are three months later, or 180 days later, and you're still in the, the warming center. So the warming center um, that's currently operating. Um, I know you all are in the process of applying for uh, variances in order to continue operating, but this is very much a short-term solution, mm-hmm. right? I think we've probably got 10, 15 minutes left. Can you cast your vision? for what your hopes and dreams and plans are for this permanent space? Um, well, in a sense, it would be to work myself out of a job, but <laughs> in Pottstown. But um, no, so so it's it's going to be a 45-bed facility. Um, and the the plan is to have half of half of the uh, half of the building be individual sleeping quarters. So another um, thing that we've learned in in looking at other models that are out there um, is not to have big open space, big open, yeah, yeah sleeping yeah. space yeah. like auditorium style right, um, yeah. sleeping spaces. So we want to give everybody their own private. Seems like there's more room, right? Yeah. The um, ability to, to lock, yeah, your stuff up is huge. Yeah. Well, that was one thing that, like a travesty when when we worked together the first time, like folks can't leave their stuff. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they have to take everything with them. Right. So either you just don't have things right. 
because you're going to lose them. Or you walk around with all of your clothes on your back and all of your things in your hands and you have to find a pl- place to like plant. Like You'll be happy to know that we adjusted that this year. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Everybody can kind of keep their stuff in, in the back storage office, um, but they can't go to it more than once every two weeks. So they can't be going back, running oh, okay. back and forth every night. But it's a limitation. Um, it wasn't It wasn't like we don't really well, right. care about yeah. people's things. No, it was it's just because we couldn't. We can't. Thankfully, we have a little bit more space at St. Paul's um, to be able That's to do awesome. that. So in the new space, the idea yeah. is individual yeah. spaces that have a, a, a door on them and, yeah. and, and pri- there's privacy, there's some security to that. Yeah. Um, another benefit to that is not having to have separate areas of the building for men and women. So there's private space. Um, everyone has their own private space. Uh, those sleeping rooms would only be used during sleeping hours. Um, and we would have staff, you know, kind of like in, in the in the center of the room and around, you know, a circular desk um, being able to be there for yeah, anything. Supervision that, yeah. and oversight. Yeah. Um, and uh, a circular desk in the middle of hallways with rooms like a hospital. No. Like a nurse's station <laughs> in the hospital? I'm yeah. trying to imagine. Yes, yes, yes. Similar look and layout. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, like when when so, um, Swanson got his desk in, in- Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec? <laughs> <laughs> when he got it in the middle. And he had to be in the middle and he's like, God, this is terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Thank you. Yeah. So right. we actually have a picture of that on that new website page under, our, uh, under the About Us slash permanent shelter page on our website. Um, there is a conceptual drawing, okay. and it has that circular desk. <laughs> so, yeah, check it out. Ron's not in it yet. Yeah, but, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then the other half of the building is going to be uh, the, you know, a commercial kitchen, cafeteria, and then six uh, private flex offices. Um, and and that's really where we expect to see a lot of, you know, awesome things. Um, we're going to use those flex offices for other organi- organizations, agencies, um, churches, groups people to come in and provide the services that they already are providing um, just in a in a different way and a more efficient way to the guests or to the clients. Um, and that's something that was, you know, really proven out of street medicine that if you want someone to benefit from a service, bring that service to the person mm-hmm. rather than asking them to show up at a, at a specific time on a certain date, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we plan to have, you know... Um, Everything from Bible studies and prayer groups to recovery meetings uh, to street medicine and, um, you know, on-site clinics and vaccine clinics and legal um, aid, legal aid yeah. right? Um, we we had a meeting with the um, Pottstown Housing Coalition. Is that what it's called? It's a group of landlords and, and land development, uh, property developers in Pottstown. Um, and our, our goal would, uh, we, we have Pottstown Works coming in, but our goal with the, with the uh, Housing Coalition is that rather than 50 people applying for a single apartment um, to have landlords come in and meet potential tenants and say, yes, you know, I think Mark would be a good fit for, for this unit. Um, And, and really kind of try to streamline that process because um, that's one of the biggest hurdles that, that we face with people is, you know, 30, 40, 50 people all vying for the same single a vacant apartment, right? Um, and, you know, so we want to be able to advocate for people on the spot to landlords um, 
you know, we're going we're gonna to have, like I said, Pottstown Works coming in, doing job training, job readiness. Uh, we oh, hope is to that have... the group that works out of Salvation Army? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the big idea is to connect, be a hub where yeah. people can get connected to the support services and and help that they need to move to move from shelter to more permanent housing. And educational or life skills that they may be lacking in. Yeah. Um, you know, things like parenting classes, anger management classes, things like that. Um, and there are, I mean, that's one of the benefits of Pottstown is that there are providers in every area, yeah. right? Um, I was just thinking about so we know, do a lot yeah, of stuff. We yeah. pitch it as a win-win. Like it's a win for our guests, um, but it's also a win for organizations and agencies that do this type of work because they will be able to be, hopefully be more efficient and have equal uh, um higher rate of success mm. that, that we plan to have as well. Sounds like you're taking barriers out. Yeah. Like the right. things that like maybe we wouldn't even necessarily think about, but that really cause people who really need it to not even seek out or to say, to disqualify themselves mm. um, or recognize that they are disqualified because they can't meet these things. So, and one of the big differences with that is going to be, again, like the warming center, our, our focus while refined a little bit um, is still to, our warming center focus is to keep people alive and not to freeze to death outside, right? Um, our plan and intent with the permanent shelter is going to be strongly focused on uh, you know, uh, life life skills and and supportive services for permanent stable housing. We don't want to see too much of a turnaround. Um, so we are going to be, you know, one of the big differences is we're going to be doing drug testing when when people come in for intake. Um, and this is, I'm glad I have the opportunity to explain it because people always ask, well, what if someone fails the drug test, right? Um, and and the idea is um, that we, you know, if someone fails a drug test for for fentanyl, um, we're going to require that person to go to detox. We're going to help them get into detox, right? right. We can get people um, through MCORT, you know, uh, and and other programs. We can get people into detox same day usually, right? Uh, so, um, but if someone fails a, a urine test for marijuana, um, we would in their individualized care plan write out a timeline for when that's expected to be different, right? And and then just kind of hold them accountable to that and work with them through that. Um, and provide what's needed to no longer feel the need to, you know, use. So it's not going to be black and white. Again, everything's right. going to be individualized care. Um, so the only staff that we'll need to hire will be case case management. Again, we intend to have all those other services come in and be provided okay. by existing providers. Yeah. One of the things that <clears throat> we didn't really touch on exactly is just the, the fact that all of this is very relational. Yeah. So when we yeah, talk about that. homeless people or, or homelessness, it's conceptual and it's sort of vague um, and faceless. Um, but when we talk about the folks that are using the warming center now, these are people that we know. We know the names of them. Mm-hmm. We, know, we know where they are when they're not at the warming center. We can find them if we want to and uh, or need to. Um, and when there's a problem, we respond to it out of the relationship that we've developed with them. And so sometimes when we talk about, well, what's your policy? We do have a policy, but it's also grounded in the Love fact that, that we... Love that neighbor as myself. <laughs> well, right. Well, it's like, we, how does that policy apply to Mark and what Mark just did? Exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right, exactly. Not and Mark, man, <laughs> right. I can't believe we're doing this, having this conversation again. With, yeah. you know, like, when, I wonder what that means. Like, um, um, And so 
that's also part of the way we want to invite other providers to come in. This is an engaged process. This is where we were giving sort of, in a sense, a warm handoff. This is a space where people can come to provide a service. It's also a warm hand. We know these folks and we want them to, we want them to do well. We want your service to be effective. And so um, all of that is about sort of relationally based engagement. Yeah, so and to, it provides a, a a place for those people to feel comfortable. Yeah, right. Sure. It's so their like, home. Yeah, it's their home. Yeah. Right. So right. it's not like, yeah, I think that's really and cool. uh, yeah. I mean, it's important. I mean, building that trust with these with our guests is so important. Um, which is why hope, love, and grace are the are the core values. Uh, because without building that trust, it's unlikely that someone who is who is experiencing a lot of trauma or or lack of self-respect or um, value for themselves uh, without having that trust that we can help them they're not gonna at all they're not gonna ask for it well one of the other things I one of the other lessons that we learned out of street medicine was in addition to you need to bring the service to the person is you usually have to adjust or adapt the way you provide the service in some way for it to be effectively used. And so the, the, the service providers who are doing really well and helping folks experiencing homelessness are the people who have figured out our normal intake process doesn't work in this situation. So even learning that the way we're going to help this group of people who are part of our community and who we have set up you know, shop in order to serve, um, we're going to do it a little different. We're going to show up at Tom's place. And we're gonna we're gonna meet them there, and and Tom's gonna give us a room, and and um, we're gonna you know we'll have Wi-Fi access, but we're gonna do this on a, we're gonna do this mobily rather than you know in our office. Um, I know where this person is, so I can come find them. Um, if they it, it, as opposed to saying, well, you didn't show twice for an appointment, so we're gonna mm. we're gonna we're gonna blacklist you for a yeah, year, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So yeah. so um, we we expect. The other thing that we expect out of sort of in terms of hope for the shelter is that it can help sort of yeah. live in those gaps for how people use services and then how they're offered as well. Uh, because a lot of times that's the barrier. People don't use a service because it just doesn't make sense or it's not offered in a way that they can utilize. And yeah. Yeah. And our goal and expectation for the property itself is that you will not know what's going on there unless you come inquire what's going on there, yeah. right? And that's how it is, you know, at, at some of the the bigger shelters, like, you know, in, around us and across the country, like neighbors don't really know what's going on there unless they go in and try to find out. Um, because it's, I mean, people, a lot of people have talked about fears of overspilling or spilling over. Yeah. But these are people, not a pot of boiling water. I mean, I don't, know. I don't even know how that would happen. Right. The idea right. that wherever this place is located is going to basically become a garbage dump full of syringes and crime and all of that. So that's not borne out in bigger shelters across the country. That's a fear based in ignorance, not in exactly. any example of anything that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited. Um, yeah. Any for idea? That. Like a timeline? I so, mean, you're dealing with red tape, so who knows? Yeah. But like I it's generalized? So the sellers have a title issue that they need to clear up before we can close. Okay. Um, oh. And that's, 
legal real estate things that I don't care to learn too much about, but I, I know that I know that uh, our, learning about them wouldn't speed up the process no, anyway. Right. No, right, right, right. No. It's not like we no. could apply our new now knowledge to yeah. it. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a title issue that the sellers are working towards. Uh, I think they're the sellers are hopeful that they will have that solved by by the end of April, um, so we can close. The hope is to close around then. Um, outside of that, no, not not really, because there's so much. Like I said, it's just land. It's I think three point two acres. Um, uh, so wow, <clears throat> there's yeah, yeah. Um, so there's everything that has to get done around that as far as permits um, and land development. Yeah, right. right. So yeah. I know that the the prefabricated steel structure will take about nine weeks from start to finish to erect and outfit and Whoa. completely finish. It's not going to take long at all. What? But that's the quickest part of the process. Right. So the actual building. <laughs> right. Wow. The building is the easiest. Where do you buy a pre-made shelter? <laughs> the internet. <laughs> Amazon, it delivers. Right. They oh, deliver. Well, if you want priority, <laughs> right? If you're a if prime, prime member, prime right. member, right, right. Then you, they, they then you might get it. I don't days. know about right. that. Uh, just find affiliate link when you buy that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one thing I forgot, to, you know, we we also asked for approval to put ten pallet shelters behind the shelter on the property within our fenced-in area, and and we got that in the zoning approval as well. So pallet shelters are individual kind of. Uh, living buildings. I don't know what the square footage is. Maybe a hundred um, square feet. So there's there's two sizes. One is sixty four square feet. And one's a hundred square feet. Yeah. Wait, pallet. Shelter? So that's the yeah. brand name. Palletshelter.com. Oh, so it's not yeah. like a yeah. shelter made out of pallets. No, <laughs> no, they're made out of they're like insulated PVC. You know, stainless steel. It's like all IKEA that kind of built thing. a house. Right. Like it's huh. it's it, they come flat packed and and they were they were actually developed after Katrina. Okay. And the idea yeah. that you needed, uh, and they were actually developed by folks who experienced homelessness because of Katrina. And so, so yeah, not only do they come flat, but you can also flatten and you can move them, re, you know, yeah. put them back up. I think they say on their website like 50 or more times <laughs> without losing structural integrity. Wow. Right? So you're getting a, a, a just this shelter brought in from uh, <laughs> I must I have this mental picture of a helicopter yeah, right, like, right, right. just yeah. plopping it down and then you're getting a smaller bunch ones. of yeah. smaller On IKEA trucks. shelters yeah. in the backyard. So those yeah, those are for single or double occupancy. So wow. it would be those the intent for those is someone completed their individualized care plan, completely com you know, completed their program plan. Um and are at that final stage of just finding somewhere to move into. So we don't want people to leave just because they you know, completed their plan. We want people to stay until they have somewhere to move into permanently. It also introduces one other sort of vision concept is, is, a, is the, the idea of community. So you're not just coming to get outside of, uh, inside from the rain, you're, you're coming into, a, you're entering into a community that you wanna be a part of. And so um, folks who, might move into a pallet shelter would also be sort of giving back to the community in some way, um, whether it's some sort of leadership mentoring or, mm -hmm. or, or something. Um, the pallet shelter people are, that's one of their pillars is this is about community. So they won't let you just buy one. You have to, there's a minimum number you can buy and you have to set it up as a community space. Wow. So 
Um, it's, it, it's just, a, there's a lot of affinity there in terms of how do we understand um, the homeless community is actually a community right now. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they right, and self-segregated. They function, and, they function like a yep. community. Um, they have the, you know, there's the person that will give you, you know, welcome you into the community. There's somebody who will give you the shirt off their back. There's somebody who wants to be left alone. There's a person who's kind of a jerk to everybody. Like yeah. they, just, mm-hmm. All those things exist in that community. Um, we want to do that more intentionally. Um, but but community is a big part of the vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so the, I mean, some of the, hopes that that i have and you know we have are are that pallet shelters are introduced into Pottstown and hopefully then broader into montgomery county like hey this is what it looks like this is how it's been going it it's great right um green lane you should put a few <laughs> in the campground right or, or montgomery county and um i tried to buy one just to put it up somewhere to say look you can come see it but you can't you can't that's when i found out oh no you have to create a community i'm like well wow and another one of the goals is that, you know, um, hopefully we can prove the community-based model sooner rather than later um, and and then take it to other communities such as, you know, even I, I always use Limerick as an example just because it's easy for me. Um, but, you know, Limerick may have less than 10 unhoused people living outside. Um, so if they put 10 pallet shelters up, they can kind of contain and work on that so that it doesn't expand or get, you know, be turned into an issue like we have in Potsdam, where over 50 years we have that number has steadily risen and, and sharply risen over the past few years. But one of the things that is also some people, people don't necessarily know is that this conversation is happening multiple places across yeah. the county. Yeah. And so yeah. there's lots of communities that are saying, hey, we want to get ahead of this. How would we? How would we proactively? How would we intentionally design a community, a whole community response to this issue in our community? So we're having. I'm, I'm on Monday night. I'm going back for a, you know a, a series of conversations in the Upper Perk Valley, um, Lansdale, Salterton, Abington. Um, there's uh, Upper Gwynedd. So there's there's there are communities that are having. A similar conversation. Plymouth meeting. Yeah. Yeah, Plymouth meeting. Yep. Um, so I think, and and my hope out of that is that we start to see that there are really good pathways to addressing the issue of homelessness for, for our people in our communities, like on a local level, people who are living in our community who happen to be residing outside, that there are ways to respond to that on a community by community basis, rather than this idea of a centralized service system that somehow we refer them to and then something happens. Yeah. Well, thank you both um, yeah, thank for you. spending time laying out your vision and your history, I think. Uh, I can say confidently that every single person who listens will have learned something because I learned several yeah. <laughs> things that I thought I knew what y'all were doing. Um, I can't wait to see uh, what this new compound uh, can do. <laughs> um, it just sounds so exciting. We'll invite you over on helicopter day. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please, please. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. Um, well, and it seems like something that, like, people can jump in on, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I would, I was just wondering, like, how can, how can we get involved? How can we, like, participate? How can we help? 
I mean, recently it's been going to borough council meetings and like, you know, having conversations with the ministerium about how to support the efforts. But what about the actual work? Like the work that... So we, I mean, at the warming center, we have four volunteer shifts every single day. Um, Volunteer opportunities. You can, uh, on our website, PottstownBeaconOfHope.org slash volunteer. Under the How Can I Help section, you can sign up to volunteer. Um, We have meals every night. So we have a meal coordinator. Um, So those meals are always provided by churches, groups, or individuals. Um, And uh, we're we're always trying to work with volunteers to do things in the community. We've done some trash cleanups. um, And, you know, we... uh, there's, there's a ton of opportunity um, with volunteering. And when we ask people to come out and volunteer, um, I'll get calls usually in the beginning of the season when we first put out the Sign Up Genius, but I'll get calls like, hey, what do, you know, what do we have to do? Do you want us to like, clean, sweep, this, that? And um, we, we, all we ask of the volunteers is to connect with people, just take the time to say hello to someone and talk to someone. Um, we don't necessarily need the volunteer to be the one serving the coffee, right? We need the volunteer to be there to be a different face uh, that can offer, you know, hope, love, and grace in their actions and words to mm-hmm. our guests. Um, so that's that's really what we look for. We also are open, uh, you know, we have two Bible studies a week. We have a barber that comes in sometimes, um, some caseworkers from, from Aklamo. Um, so, uh, you know, if anybody thinks that they have or is willing to offer something that they they can to our guests um always open and welcome that that type of thing too and then as we get closer to a building i'm sure that there will be volunteer cleanup days or volunteer drywall days yeah right 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 right. yeah so the building doesn't come with drywall and that's yeah yeah Yeah. we'll have to do that mind blown (laughs) i (laughs) Or it would shake in the helicopter. Right, yeah, right. The helicopter can only do so much. (laughs) Amazon can only provide so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazon helicopters. It's a new way to deliver. It's coming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, blessings to you both, um, to your whole team, to the work that you're doing. Uh, We pray for smooth sailing from here on out, or as smooth as possible, and that... uh, You'd be able to keep a steady rudder in whatever storm comes next. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah.